subterfuge, deception, by artifice or strategy in order to conceal, escape, or evade. Here's a sentence. They obtain the secret documents through an act of subterfuge. Now, at birth, a baby can't support their head. They close their hands involuntary. It's a grasp reflex, and they get startled by sudden noises. Now, four weeks, a baby can focus on a face, and that baby might respond to a bell in some way, shape, or form, usually startling or, or crying or, or going quiet. And they can follow an object moved in an arc about 15 centimeters above their faces until it's straight ahead. Now, six weeks, a baby might start to smile at familiar faces, and they start to coo. Now, 12 weeks, babies can lie on their tummies with their heads held up to look around. They can also wave a rattle, and they start to play with their own fingers and toes. Now, boys sometimes weigh more than girls. They're a little bit longer, but there's no right size for a newborn. And what are some of the things that our culture says is good for a baby? Well, common things are respond to the baby when they're crying, cuddle and kiss your baby, playing together with your baby, and smiling at your baby. And what's interesting here, it says cuddle and kiss your baby. And this helps your baby learn to trust and rely on you. Even when you don't know why they're crying, it's important to comfort your baby during this time. Get to know your baby's cries, picking them up, cuddle them, or talk to them in a soothing voice. Look at your baby's face while he or she looks at you. And I remember my son's birth. I remember him being a baby. And that was, truthfully, some of the most fun and enjoyable times of my life. Watching a person grow from a baby into the child he is now. But it's fascinating. There, there wasn't a, a book that I had to, to put down for him to get him how to coo or, or look up. I didn't, I didn't write a lesson plan and then teach him how to wiggle his fingers. He, he, he learned. He began to learn. So this idea of learning, we come in the world ready to learn. Also, another way, smiling at your baby is talked about. It says when your baby begins to smile and see you smile, it releases chemicals in their body that make them feel good. It also helps their brain grow. And it says smiling plays an important part in connecting in the attachment process. It helps your baby feel safe and secure and learn about the world. born this way. Welcome to the Stephen Thompson Experience. This is Stephen Thompson, and this is my experience. I'm a man of faith. I'm a father. I'm a husband. I'm a man who is curious. I'm curious about doing good work in the world and helping all of us connect to our good work. I'm here this month talking about the music of Lady Gaga. And today I want to look at the song Born This Way. And Born This Way is a song that Lady Gaga uses the lead single from her second album, Born This Way. And she was inspired by music from the 90s, and she also was inspired by women, and she wrote this as a freedom song. 
And here's some of the lyrics that really, really stuck out to me. I want to use for the focus of some of the things I want to talk about today. Don't be a drag, just be a queen. Whether you're broke or evergreen, you're black, white, beige, cholo descent, you're Lebanese, you're orient. Whether life's disabilities left you outcast, bullied, or teased, rejoice and love yourself today. Because, baby, you were born this way. No matter gay, straight, or bi, lesbian, transgendered life, I'm on the right track, baby, I was born to survive. No matter black, white, or beige, cholo or orient made, I'm on the right track, baby, I was born to be brave. I'm beautiful in my way, because God made no mistakes. I'm on the right track, baby. I was born this way. Don't hide yourself in regret. Just love yourself and your set. I'm on the right track, baby. I was born this way. Now, the idea. We see what is good for a baby when they are born. Our bodies have 3 billion genetic building blocks base pairs. And that makes us who we are. And of those 3 billion base pairs, there's a tiny amount that are unique to us, making us about 99% genetically similar to the next human being. In fact, in a TED Talk by physicist and entrepreneur Ricardo Sabatini, he demonstrated that a printed version of your entire genetic code would occupy some 262 pages or 175 books. Now, of those pages, just 500 would be unique to us. That's because large chunks of our genome perform similar functions across the animal kingdom. You can take a look at how genetically similar we are to everyone around us. God makes no mistakes. Lady Gaga said that. Now, we look at what is good for a baby in the beginning. Talks about smiling at a baby. And that, that, that establishes trust. Now, if we're a leader and we want to help our companies grow, we want to help our employees grow, what is backed by science? Smiling at them establishes trust. Now, we want to connect in the workplace and we want to be able to stay within our purpose but then we go to ideology and what is the role of ideology in the workplace can there be a situation where ideology hijacks your purpose and in fact is ideology really crucial to the work is ideology and having the right ideology crucial to the work you are doing or is it crucial to the work that you are wanting to do to change humanity or help humanity I'm gonna argue that you have to be careful in the song born this way Lady Gaga talks about same-sex people People who are, like what she said, gay, straight, bi, transgendered. Then she said, God makes no mistakes. And inside of a community where you would want to find love and support, 
you can find differing ideology. Let's take a look. Focus on the family was an article. It says, no matter where one turns in culture today, the issue of homosexuality and gender identity are being hotly debated. The homosexual rights ideology continue to seek le legitimization and approval, not just tolerance of homosexual behavior, resulting in rapidly changing societal mores and values. This deeply impacts us in our day-to-day -day relationships with family and with fellow church members, neighbors, and coworkers. A key strategy in ushering in this uncritical acceptance and promotion of homosexuality into the wider culture as centered on churches and synagogue. Specifically, activists and their allies know that Judeo-Christian sexual ethics found in the Bible is the last bastion of defense holding back the widespread embrace of homosexuality throughout the culture. The, they understand that if Bible-believing Christians and Jews can be convinced that homosexuality behavior is no longer sinful in God's eyes, then the battle to fully implement their political and social goals will be won. Contrast that with queer theology, reclaiming Christianity for the LGBT community. Kelly Cross wrote that queer theology, Christian theology, Bible liberation theology— and they talk about the root, the root of homophobia in the United States is the condemnation of homosexuality in the church. And by and large, Americans form their moral conscience based on the teachings of the church. And so since the church condemns homosexuality, Americans blindly accept this teaching. This condemnation has done immense harm to the LGBT community and at the same time, the LGBT community to reclaim Christianity. The tenets of liberation theology can be utilized by the queer community to liberate itself from mainstream theology. And then they go on to talk about liberation theology. And they begin to look at the Bible and Bible exegesis and the various texts used by liberation theology. They use Bible passages that talk against the LGBT community, and they re-examine them, followed by an outline of the tenets of emerging queer theology. And then they go back and need argue that queer Christians need to reclaim their right to participate in Christianity and detail their experiences as gay and lesbian Christians. Christianity has traditionally been a patriarchal and heterosexual institution. Queer people challenge the patriarchal and heterosexual culture of Christianity by refusing to accept the rules laid out by traditional Christian theology. Namely, that one must follow the rules of males and heterosexuals. Now, see, we have two divergent views. We have the church community, one part of it, that's saying, you know, homosexuals have an agenda to overthrow the church and make the world accept homosexuality as not being sinful. And then we have queer theology talking about the fact that, hey, we need to reclaim Christianity for the LGBTQI community. And there we stand. But what I want to say is this. In the scriptures, 1 Peter 3.15, but in your hearts revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect. Gentleness and respect. Give a reason for the hope that you have. 
And I think sometimes a reason for the hope you have, not a reason for the hate you have. And, and not a reason for the agenda that you have, but hope. And that hope is tied to Christ as Lord. But then what sticks out? But gentleness and respect. And I go back to the lyrics of the song. Whether life's disabilities left you outcast, bullied, or teased, rejoice and love yourself today, because, baby, you were born this way. And this is where I think we depart from being unified in the purpose. You see, there shouldn't be a situation where we look at people and our response is outcasting, bullying, or teasing someone. That can't be it in any situation. If you are doing good work, work that is important, work that is valuable in your organization, there shouldn't be a situation where you bully somebody, outcast them, or tease them simply because the way they choose to live your life. In fact, there's laws that have been written in to do this. In fact, why should those laws even be written? Shouldn't a person who wants to come to work, and let's just say whatever the job is, let's just take, for example, a person who comes to work and they work at a nonprofit and they want to serve homeless, the homeless population. They should be able to come to work with a clear mind that I'm going to come to work this day and I'm going to serve people who are homeless. And they shouldn't have to worry about I'm going to come to work today and somebody's going to make fun of me because of my religion or somebody's going to make fun of me or outcast me because of what I believe about my sexual orientation. That shouldn't occur in the workplace. Okay. And I don't see any justification for doing that to somebody in the workplace, either mentally or in fact, physically. People never should be made to feel outcast, bullied, or teased. What does it say? God makes no mistakes, right? So if you have somebody who, who has chosen a particular ideology that is different than yours, what's more important? Well, I think person wins. I think person wins. I think people win over ideology. You see, curiosity is not advocacy. That means if you're curious and you want to learn more about a topic like queer theology, or you want to learn more about the Christian opposition to homosexuality, that's curiosity. That's not advocacy. That's not taking on a particular position. That's not taking on a lifestyle. And it shouldn't be feared. Curiosity should not be feared. But when curiosity is feared, what happens? We either run away or we fight. What does it say a baby needs? It needs a smile. And a smile establishes trust. So, what do you think we should give more of? In fact, what is backed up by science? By data? If you're a scientist and you don't believe in a scriptural, God-based lifestyle, and that's perfectly 
fine for you. Then the science says that smiling from birth establishes trust. And we all know in the business world, trust and connection equals customers and customers equal profit. So is it better to smile at a person or is it better to yell at someone if you want to remain in business? Pick one or the other. Well, science backs smiling at people. Now, if you are in a position where you believe in God, what do we need to be unified around? We need to be unified around Christ. And let's go back to what it says. Kindness and respect. Give a reason for the hope that you believe. And maybe we should just accept people's reasons. Why do we have to fight over people's reasons for the hope that they believe? In fact, who's going to settle the score? That's what we should be looking at. Seth Godin said this. We can choose to do work, work that is important. And in his post, he said this today. It says, fewer than 1% of our population work hard to divide us, to pit people against one another for their selfish aims. These are the pundits, divisive politicians, media companies, and short-term trolls who have decided that schisms and fights are a good way to achieve their aims. But if everyone is demonizing the other, then everyone is the enemy to someone. We end up spending our time fighting each other instead of fighting for the things that really matter. We end up focusing on the current thing while something more important shrinks away in the background. It's possible to be fierce, fierce in your dedication to change, to what's right, to making things better, without finding the source of your power in the destruction of others. We ought to be fighting inequality, corruption, and inefficiency, working to stamp out ignorance and missed opportunities while creating access and possibility, keeping our promises and making things better. Every system is improved when it's in sync and the narcissism of small differences is a seduction that keeps us from focusing on creating real value by doing important work realizing that things can get better they can always get better opens the door for productive conversations conversations that aren't based on prior decisions about what team someone is on and instead on putting our shoulder to the work, taking responsibility, and actually making things better. We can fight injustice without becoming pawns in a boxing promoter's game. Think about this. You have an earthquake. And we've seen the earthquakes, we've seen the hurricanes, and there's damage, and there's, there, there's people's lives that need to be put back together. So in this moment, in this moment, What's important? Fighting over what someone believes or picking up a house and helping someone put their life back together. You've got two choices. Which one is better? Other day I'm walking down the street and a, a fruit vendor, his cart spilled. I got on my car and I helped him pick up his fruit cart. And the thing about it is that fruit cart represented all of his money for the day. I just came from drinking coffee. I've got computers. I've got laptops. I'm in my house. I've got access to the Internet. I'm not worried about 
where my next dollars are coming from. But this person was, and he had tears in his eyes. And I helped him pick up everything, and the fruit was there, and the fruit couldn't even be used anymore. The cart had a crack in it. He was going to have to answer to someone. In that moment, what was important? It wasn't to lecture him on immigration. It was to help him pick up his cart. It was to do something to make this person walk away feeling that the world is a good place. He might, I don't know where he went, but at least he could go home and tell somebody, people came and helped me when I was in need. People came and helped me because I was in need. I'm beautiful in my way because God makes no mistakes. I'm on the right track, baby. I was born this way. The definition of mercy is this. Compassion or forgiveness shown toward someone whom it is within one's power to punish or harm. Now, in this definition of mercy, if you're in the workplace and you're a leader and someone makes a mistake, can we explore the idea of compassion and forgiveness before you consider using your power to punish or harm? Now, I'm not saying that you allow thieves to rob your workplace. I'm not advocating bad things. Okay, obviously we need to punish people for doing wrong. But I'm talking about when the person comes to you with an idea. Or a, a person makes a simple mistake. In those situations, we can choose compassion or forgiveness. We can choose not to punish or harm. Now, in the spiritual world, guess what? The power to punish or harm, it's not ours. It's not ours. We cannot determine the eternal resting place for another human being. In fact, every time we hurt somebody, we're diminishing our own selves. We don't draw strength from hurting people. The science doesn't even say that. So in a moment, it doesn't matter. What a person believes who's standing next to you. We need to treat every we need to treat people with respect. We need to treat people with courage. We need to treat people with compassion. Curiosity is not advocacy. Nor should we attempt to stop people merely because they want to be seen. We can attempt to learn. And we can attempt to do good work. Because even in the end, if our ideologies are different, we can still do good work together. And isn't doing good work together more important than dividing over ideology? If you have two people who, who, who both want to do good work, that's what it says, two are better than one. 
I'll give you another example. Let's take a school. Let's take a school that doesn't have funding or needs funding for a computer lab. Wouldn't it be better off if someone gave money to let the kids have computers? And wouldn't it be better for the kids if they had computers in the classroom? And then that child can work on a business and that child can connect and learn how to, to use their gifts and talents. Isn't that important? Now let's say we have a teacher who wants to work with that child in that computer lab. Does it matter? Does ideology have any influence on that child typing on a computer or that child getting access to that computer? I would say that the ideology does not matter in that situation. That the work is important. The work is what changes us. The ideology can hinder us. We need to be clear on that. Now, I'm not saying that is an endorsement of any particular ideology or any particular lifestyle, but I'm saying in the end, the work matters. The work, not the ideology. So, number one is work. Number two is ideology because it says God makes no mistakes. We share the same DNA. We were born this way. So, if we all were born this way, and if we all share the same DNA, then at the end, what side are you on? If you are going to be on the side of bashing people, on hurting people, on promoting your ideology, I don't see how you can say you are on the side of either science or scripture. We need to invest in people and we need to invest in the work. This is Stephen Thompson. This has been the Stephen Thompson Experience. I want you to do a couple things. I want you to look up at the sky and I want you to say, I'm grateful for what I have. And I want you to put your feet on the ground and I want you to stand in this moment, wherever you're at, and breathe and say, here I am, here I stand. I want you to think for a minute about the work you want to do, who you want to help, who you want to contribute to, and I want you to move forward from that space knowing that I'm with you. Thank you very much, and I will see you soon. Have a great one.